It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Talking of the weather, the country, we're in for a roller coaster of temperatures across this uh, coming week. I mean, I was talking today is expected to be quite mild. We could get highs across this week up to 18 degrees, but then we could get wintry lows during the day down to uh, 7 degrees. And on Thursday night, temperatures are expected to sink close to freezing and conditions are described as being quite winter, wintry in parts. I mean, there's even speculation that there could be sprinklings of snow across the week. So it is a real, real mixed bag, uh, wildly varying weather over the coming days. I mean, March certainly living up to its volatile reputation when it comes to the weather. You can get all kinds of weather in the month of March and certainly we'll look back on this March and that's exactly what we will be uh, saying. So uh, enjoy whatever bit of sunshine and high temperatures we managed to get for part of this week but don't be very far away from the winter woolies and the umbrellas because there's lots of rain and wintry conditions on the way. Now John Paul taking your calls at 1850 You can text our WhatsApp us as well to 0862 103 103 and can I just start by referencing the fact that I was had to attend a funeral on uh, Saturday and it was the first funeral that I have attended with the COVID-19 restrictions I have been and I say I've been lucky enough and I emphasise the word lucky that I haven't had any close family member pass away since the COVID restrictions around funerals had come in and I was hoping that I would survive the restrictions without having anyone near or dear to me passing away but uh, unfortunately it came to our door last week and I had to attend a funeral in Dara in outside Clan on uh, Saturday and with just 10 of us inside in the church. Now there was something very special about the ceremony, about the intimacy of the fact there was only 10 of us inside in the church and Monsignor Aidan O'Driscoll I mean anyone that knows Monsignor O'Driscoll will know what a wonderful man he is and he did a really beautiful mass and it was very emotional And at times it seemed very unreal that we were in this church at a funeral and very surreal. It was just, it was, it's hard to put into words, I think, unless you've gone through it, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking uh, about. And it was also, I think, difficult to know that there were people who 
dearly loved Eamon who we were burying on Saturday who were outside in the church sitting in their cars watching it on their smartphones and there was other people at home or other people dotted around the world watching it online. I mean, thank God we have the technology that it can be watched uh, online and everyone who did turn up to pay their respects. Everyone abided by the social distancing in the route as we went down to the church and even those that were at the graveyard, everybody stayed well uh, apart. And it felt safe, I have to say. It did feel safe but it was just, it's very tough. It's really tough to be in a church with just 10 people at a mass at a funeral mass that normally would have been absolutely packed to the rafters and so many people would have wanted to have uh, been there. But I just particularly just want to say well done to uh, Monsignor O'Driscoll who just provided comfort to all of us uh, as well. So my heart goes out to any of you who know what I'm talking about and who have been through what funerals are like at the moment with the restrictions that are in place. They're very, very difficult. There's something, as I say, there is something lovely about the intimacy uh, of it. And I think you can grieve very privately then because of the intimacy of it. But then on the other side, there's something missing from it uh, as well. And as I say, for, for those people who dearly would want to have been there. And we obviously had to travel from North Cork to West Cork to attend uh, the funeral. We were stopped twice on the way by the Gardaí. And I have to say, the first guard that, that stopped us at the viaduct, uh, sympathised with us. And and she actually made me cry the way she said, can I just extend my sympathies to you? And I just thought it was such a lovely, lovely thing uh, to do. So there was definitely, there was checkpoints, a lot of checkpoints uh, out and about on uh, Saturday, making sure the people stayed within their uh, 5K. Anyway, let me move on. Um, the Beacon, the hospital, the Beacon Hospital, of course, that whole story was breaking on uh, Friday and I think and it's rumbled along across the weekend. It's still in all of the papers today. And I think the reason it's getting a, an amount of focus today is because there's an emergency meeting of the board of the Beacon Hospital. It's taking place uh, today as the hospital obviously are coming to terms with the fallout of the vaccination scandal, which, of course, everybody by now knows the CEO, a gentleman by the name of Michael column organised that these spare injections would be given to the staff of a private school in Bray and of course singing the tale is his children happened to attend that private school. There was also other spare vaccines that went to a creche that looks after children of Beacon Hospital staff. They also seemingly got some of the vaccines but it looks like there was 20 teachers from this St. Gerard school, this private school in Bray, which is 14 kilometres away from the Beacon. They got the call and they managed to get into their cars and go outside their 5K, can I say? But I suppose if you're stopped and you say you're going for your vaccination, what can the Gardaí do? They, they will deem that uh, essential. It's understood that the hospital board chairman was yesterday communicating with the board members, I'd say frantically ringing around to say we need to have a board meeting and we need to have one soon. So it's meant to be happening sometime uh, today. Now, the Foreign Affairs Minister, Simon Coveney, yesterday called for the board to hold certain individuals to account. He said the decision by the Beacon Hospital to give vaccines to the teachers, he says it was a slap in the face to many people. Simon Coveney said the decision to suspend vaccine operations at the hospital, he felt was a very clear signal on how the government felt on the matter. He said, and I quote from Simon Coveney at the weekend, so many people have loved ones that are vulnerable to the virus and they're waiting patiently to be vaccinated. While Simon Coveney said it wouldn't be good um, 
precedent for a senior minister to be calling for anyone to resign but he did say the board of the Beacon Hospital have a responsibility now to ensure that individuals are held to account. The board at the private South Dublin Hospital have been feeling the heat of public opinion and political pressure since the news broke on Friday of the CEO's intervention into who should get the spare vaccination. And, you know, there's so many things wrong with this story. I mean, how the CEO had anything to do with the distribution of the vaccines. Surely there is a medical lead in the hospital who was deciding who was getting the vaccinations. I mean, why the CEO would have any kind of intervention in deciding who's on the pecking order and who is next. It just is absolutely astounding. And I saw on social media family members in particular who have loved ones who are receiving cancer treatment at the Beacon and who are desperate for their loved one to receive a vaccine and they will be the people who are now in cohort four which is the group of people now that they're moving on to and they've started vaccinating people in in cohort four. So I mean here we were in a hospital setting giving out the vaccines and okay they had 200 no-shows and that was to do with double booking of HSE staff that's okay the HSE then seemingly managed to redirect 180 people and there's still 20 leftover vaccines I mean did nobody in the hospital say well why don't we go around the wards and see how many of our patients are actually in in the hospital at the moment why don't we open up our database and see how many of our patients live close by that could have a family member that could bring them over people who are entitled uh, to get it to get the vaccine and who are waiting they're in the they're in the the actual group that they're now working on and then the other one that I really has my head scratching did not one teacher in St Gerard's school in Bray did not one of the teachers stop and say hang on a tick are we really entitled to get these vaccines because teachers at the moment are in cohort 11. If you go down to all the different categories for the vaccination, they're not due to get it until the 11th group. We're only up to the fourth group. We're not even finished. We're only starting the fourth group. There are even some people over the age of 70 who still haven't received their first vaccine. And this group of teachers felt it was okay for them to get into the car and drive to the beacon. It's just, I mean, sure, there has got to have been, surely it will eventually come out that some teachers refused and said no, because there's got to be teachers who would have family members who are more entitled to it than they as uh, teachers. Just truly shocking. And and if you go on, there's lots of social media pages that you can go on to, to take a look at this. Wonderful, wonderful private school if you've got the money to pay to have your children privately educated and it's a school that operates from Montessori right through to Leaving Search so it's Montessori primary school and secondary school so they have children from as young as two right up to 18 year olds and actually I've seen pictures of just some very young staff uh, in there you know and you're thinking were, were they some of the staff were they some of the very young they only you know teachers that are only looking in their 20s and 30s they went forward and took a vaccine just the mind boggles the mind absolutely boggles let's wait and see what comes out from this board meeting today and what will happen to the CEO who who was at the end of the day it was Michael Collin was this, is the CEO of the Beacon and he was the man who made the decision he was the man by all accounts who put the phone call through to the school to say we've 20 vaccines do any of your teachers uh, want it 1850 fears that the stubbornly high numbers of COVID-19 cases will mean that we here in the general public will be waiting 
waiting at least six more weeks before there's any significant easing of restrictions. Now, expert from the emergency Medical Advisory Committee, Nefert, they're meeting today. They'll finalise their latest advice to the government. They'll then relay it to the Cabinet COVID-19 subcommittee meeting. That will happen this evening. And then those ministers then will bring the outcome of those two meetings, the Nefert one and the Cabinet subcommittee, the COVID one. They will bring the results of that meeting to the full Cabinet Meet which uh, tomorrow for the final decision. And uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor, has been on to us today just to give us what he says. He says the announcement is expected likely about six o'clock tomorrow, but that's still to be confirmed. So we'll have to wait until six tomorrow to find out what is going to happen. But there was no sign of an improvement in the number of new cases of the virus. 604 were reported yesterday and sadly 13 more deaths. Now, there's now already beginning to be lots of, you know, when you read it in the paper, well-placed government sources saying there'll only be minimal changes will be announced uh, tomorrow. And whatever changes will be announced tomorrow, they will take effect from this day week which will be the bank holiday Monday, April Easter Monday, April the 5th. Officials are pointing out that for the past three weeks, the new case figures of the virus have remained stubbornly high. There is now a strong sense that Neffet's advice will hold sway with the government. And I think whatever Neffet decides today, that'll be passed on to the COVID Cabinet subcommittee, I think whatever will come out from those two meetings, I think the Cabinet tomorrow, I can't see them going against uh, Neffert. I think too many, t- too many times in the past, they've listened to what Neffert have had to say. They've taken on board some of the recommendations, but I think every single word out of Neffert's mouth today, because I don't think they just do, they're too afraid to run the risk of what happened at Christmas when they didn't fully listen to uh, Neffert. And we all know what happened uh, since. And it's now, if you're looking for any glimmer of hope, the bigger hope now will be that changes will come in in May and that will be very much dependent on the vaccine rollout happening. If it happens at plans and there isn't any delays and there isn't any taking a bunch of vaccines and giving it to teachers in private schools and everything goes according to plan, it is likely then we'll have major changes between the middle to later part of May. Again, going back to Simon Harris, who was speaking at the weekend, he said the government has only a very narrow scope to ease COVID restrictions. And he said all of the ministers will be taking a very cautious approach. He said what we are trying to ensure is that we don't allow a fourth wave of COVID spread to happen between now and when the majority of adults in this country will be offered a vaccine. He expects, but he can't be sure, that there will be some lifting of the 5K restriction. They're obviously also looking at outdoor activity. Uh, and he said that, and obviously their big push is to make sure that everybody goes back to school. And that, because remember, there's been first year through to fourth year haven't been back in school since Christmas. So the plan is that school will reopen after the Easter holidays and that all classes uh, will resume. Another minister said that both the medical experts on Neffet and the government were very aware, though, that people are locked down 
weary and that's the big problem at the moment there is a weariness about it and I think for people to hear today and what's going to be announced tomorrow that there's going to be another six weeks to go that will just add to people's weariness and the main focus of hope now is going to be I think very much upon easing of the restrictions sometime uh, inside in May and that's going to be sort of I think the the carrot they were possibly dangle in front of us but it does mean another six weeks of a lockdown speculation for example the outdoor dining of at food serving pubs and restaurants that may be allowed from about mid-May they're also saying mid-May the reopening of non-essential shops and also there is the hope that we would able to, to be able to travel countrywide which means to families who have loved ones in different counties be an opportunity to go and meet those I mean but a lot of people would say I've got family living 20 kilometres away if I could get to see them I would be best pleased and a spokesperson by the way for the Taoiseach was also non-committal about the reports you probably saw these reports at the weekend that the UK may be ready to share vaccines with uh, Ireland in an effort to assure the easing of restrictions in Northern Ireland suddenly now they are we were at one stage looking to Northern Ireland having very high figures when we didn't have figures down here and we people saying should we be locking down the border to stop people travelling from Northern Ireland Ireland down here to the Republic. Now it's flipped the other way. People in the north are terrified of people coming from the Republic across the border. So people in Northern Ireland are saying if we want to open up, bearing in mind that they have so many people vaccinated, we need to see people vaccinated in the south. But a government spokesperson saying the UK has previously indicated that once it's achieved a high level of vaccination of its own population, then it would consider sharing some of its vaccines with other countries, including us here in uh, Ireland. But at the moment, government's sources say they are not aware of any specific plans to share vaccines with Ireland at uh, this stage. Now we know that the UK has soared ahead in administering jabs but you have to bear in mind that the proportion of second jabs in the UK they they are they're not dramatically higher than what we have here in Ireland of people with two uh, jabs. They've run with giving everybody their first jab. So if you were to wait until everyone is fully vaccinated, all of those people have to receive a second jab. So that would mean there's not going to be early supplies of spare vaccines from the UK. I mean, when I saw this, I mean, it was a great story yesterday when it broke. You're thinking, oh, this is terrific. Terrific if today the UK government were ringing up the Taoiseach and ringing the Irish government to say, OK, we've three and a half million vaccines. We're going to send them across the Irish Sea to you. But I mean, if we're going to have to wait until they have the majority of their population vaccinated, that's going to be well into the summer, July, August. At that stage, we are hoping this country will be awash with vaccines. So is it a little bit of playing politics? It smacked to me certainly much of that uh, yesterday. Unless they're handing us the vaccines this week, to me, it's playing politics with with the vaccines, which is exactly what we don't want. Neil in Skibbereen says uh, the teachers at that school took the 30 pieces of silver in the form of the vaccine. How can they do calculated grades on the CEO's children. They now have a conflict of interest. Surely, surely now that's a major problem for the Department of Education. I don't know if any of the children though are in, are in leaving their class or, or not. Uh, but Neil says, how is that? How can anyone expect uh, fairness? Uh, he, it's, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting point, but I don't know if any of the uh, children are in leaving cert or not. Somebody says the teachers are not without fault and surely have shown bad example. Teachers have not shown themselves uh, to be interested in anything else other than themselves 
Charles with this particular story that is from uh, Tim. Somebody else says on vaccines, I think people who have had treatment for cancer should all have had their vaccination by now. I know people who are still waiting to be vaccinated. Yeah, well, they're only now at that stage of people. I think it's people in active treatment for cancer, isn't it, are receiving their vaccines. It's this cohort four and they're now starting to roll that out. That's the point I made about the beacon. It's a hospital that treats cancer patients. They would have, they have patients on their books that they could have given the vaccinations to. And then on the high numbers, somebody says, Patricia, what if the numbers never go down? Will we, will we end up being locked up forever? No, hopefully not. We need the vaccines and we need them uh, faster. Oh, by God, we do. Hi, Patricia, listening to the vaccine comments. I can't understand why they wasted the vaccines, let alone that the CEO of a private hospital would get involved in deciding who would get the vaccines. The UK are very much starting to open up their country now and with this third wave imminent, why can't Ireland cop on and get people vaccinated? Some weeks ago I was listening and some commentators were saying, bring Boris over here to run Ireland. What is going on with this country? I wonder, thanking you. Well, what's going on is we can't get our hands on enough vaccines. And when we do... In the main, 99% of the vaccine rollout is going perfectly. I mean, what happened in the Beacon, I think, will dent people's uh, confidence in it. But overall, the vaccines vaccines are running so well. Actually, I've asked John Paul to put a call through to Dr. Mike uh, Thompson from the Immokili Medical Centre. He runs the vaccination clinics that are running in the CIT in Bishopstown. They've been running every Saturday for the last maybe three, four weeks. And they are flying through the vaccination. This is of the over 70s and I saw even on Saturday I saw them I think it was 20 past 8 they gave their last jab so I'm really interested in talking with Dr Mike as to how well that's going. So it is going well but we just can't get our hands on enough vaccines. That's where we're at. 1850 333 103 Jump all takes your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group One great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Last week we had some listeners concerned that their passports are out of date or are due to expire in the coming months and are wondering what to do about renewing them online with the passport office pausing operations since we moved into Level 5 in December. Sinn Féin TD for Cork East Pat Buckley has been raising his concerns about the backlog of applicants waiting for a passport and he joins me. Good morning to you Pat. Good morning, Patricia. Lovely to talk to you again. Well, lovely to talk to you as well. Now, what is the up-to-date figure on the number of people currently in the system actually waiting for a passport? Uh, unfortunately, our latest figures is it's, uh, that it's just over 57,000 people waiting for their passport applications. So what we've done is we've called for the government to hire additional staff to try and, I suppose, alleviate the, the backlog. Because once we come out of level five, we know that there's going to be pressure on it. And we've had so many, I suppose, inquiries into my own office. People trying to obviously get married. You need your passport as identification, uh, opening a bank account, your mortgages. So it is affecting people despite we have the travel, I suppose, a practical travel ban people still need these documents. Yeah, I think that was the point I was trying to put, I was putting across last week when somebody was rang in about passports. People were saying, sure, what does anybody want a passport for? None of us leave in this uh, country. Certainly, probably not for the rest of this year. But it's tied in to so many other services that they will insist you have to have an up-to-date passport. Yes, and, and that's, you know, and that's where the, the crux is at the moment. And I mean, we have to have a comprehensive plan, you know, put in place 
So once the level comes down to level four, that they'll be actually processing those applications and try and get them out as swiftly as we can. Now, you can still work on the online ones. Yeah. And in fairness, in fairness and I have to say they've been extremely um, cooperative the passport office because I've had a couple of emergency cases and they did process them and process them uh, very quickly as well. So, you know, it's, it's just very, very difficult for people at the moment. And I know, as you said, some of your listeners are saying, what do you want the passport for? But it has, it's a very, very important document. And as I said, it's very difficult to get married without it. Certainly difficult to open the bank account or secure a mortgage or anything like that. But it's also your ID. Do you understand why they paused operations under Level 5? Obviously, I suppose, yes, um, there'd be close contacts. It's all about handling stuff and whatever. I but is, it, is, the, is the online renewal, I mean, the online re- renewal surely is a tick boxing exercise. The online one seems to be working okay, obviously. But the problem is with the backlog of people that sent it in, say, through the post and whatever, that service, that's where the crux is at the moment because there's nobody actually in situ to handle those applications. And that's where the problem is. So everybody's documentation is sitting in a passport office somewhere? Correct. Unfortunately, yes, that's correct. And we get out of this level five. Hopefully, um, the government are meeting today. So hopefully we'll have news by tomorrow to see what levels of restrictions are going to be. We're looking at another six weeks, realistically, aren't we? Mid-May. We could quite possibly be, Patricia. But as I said, um, we actually just won't know till tomorrow. And that's been honest with you, but certainly we'd want to be ready because we might be talking about passport services now. But we have an awful backlog on all medical procedures. Um, there's an awful lot of children waiting for speech and language therapy. There's a huge backlog there. It's nearly six to nine months for some people, 12 months for others. So the government will need to have a plan that when we actually do start coming over to level five, that all services that are needed will have to be supported. And there will be people looking for workers, unfortunately, people possibly have lost their jobs and I mean it's another way of providing additional employment as well and adi- uh, obviously addressing all the issues that were going to come down, that are going to come down the road because I can see a tsunami of services that have fallen behind or practically shut down and people need to have their I suppose will have to address everything but it's going to be extremely difficult I can foresee huge huge problems within our services. We still have it even with schools and school places, uh, additional need services, ASD units. Patricia, the list is endless. Mm. And that's my big fear okay. here. And, their plan. and just on, and, and on passports, is Brexit still an issue with Irish citizens living in the UK applying for Irish passports? Is that still ongoing? It's still ongoing, Patricia. Even we in Sinn Féin call for uh, a separate passport office in the six counties to deal with that. But unfortunately, it fell on deaf ears as well. But of course it is, and that puts extra pressure again on our services. Yeah, and and the so we need and what, what when you looked for a passport office in Northern Ireland, what did what response did you get? Sorry, Patricia. When you looked, when you put a call out for a passport office in Northern Ireland, what was the response? The response was that we were additionally resourced here to deal with it. Obviously, we're not. Well, we're certainly not at the moment. Absolutely not. No, 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 no. So, so when when passport office when we move into level four, four. The, obviously, then they can start processing the the backlog. But as you said, yes. fifty six thousand odd already in on top of people who've been holding off sending Absolutely. in there. Yeah. 
are we looking at months maybe to get through that backlog? I'd say quite possible, Patricia, at least maybe 12 weeks minimum. And that's what we've been hearing, but that's why we've called for additional staffing on this to try and get these out and get the issue resolved as soon as possible. Okay. All right. Well, we'll wait. We'll wait and see. But in the meantime, you're saying the online is okay if people if people yeah. want it. That's just for straightforward renewal, where there's no additional yeah. paperwork to be sent in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be safe enough. On that. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Pat. We'll leave it there. Thank you for that. No bother. And uh, Thank uh, thanks. You thanks. Have a great day. Uh, you too. That is Sinn Fein TD for Cork East, uh, Pat Buckley. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. I'm just being told there is a two vehicle collision at Ballydehob Cross on the end. 71. It's towards the Bantry turn-off. There's a stop and go in place. So I would try to avoid that area if you can for the moment. That's at the on the N71 towards the Bantry turn-off. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Age and Opportunity. It's the National Development Organisation working to improve the quality of life for people aged 50 to 100 plus. They've just published a report examining the impact of COVID-19 on physical activity in older people's groups. Joining me from Age and Opportunity is Mary Harkin. Good morning to you, Mary. Morning, Patricia. Uh, You're welcome. Are older people really missing the community groups and the organisations that they were so involved with pre-COVID? Yes, they really are. Um, we um, we did this piece of research last September, so at that time we'd kind of come through the very severe period of restrictions and things were reopening before they kind of locked down again later in October. But at that point, um, older people's groups hadn't got back together again. So that's the likes of active retirement groups, ICA groups, men's sheds, um, and um, they really hadn't, you know, those groups we found, we asked them how, how often they met, they would have been an important part of people's social life. You know, they were they were small groups, generally under 30 people, meeting locally and um, meeting at least once a week in most cases. So they would have been an important part of people's social life and they had had no activities um, for, you know, the previous six months, I suppose. Um, and yes, they really were. They were missing the social contact. Um, now, interestingly, um, we found that the women's groups coped better than the men's groups at staying in touch. The men's groups were very overwhelmed by by the situation and, did, and, and, and the women's groups had managed to actually stay in touch a little bit better. They said women will always find a way to stay in touch. But <laughs> using the telephone, using yeah. the telephone yeah. and so on. And some groups had managed when restrictions lifted a little bit over the summer and they were able to get out um, and do some stuff outdoors. And even, you know, again, we found that groups where they had an enabling environment, so where they had a safe place to meet outdoors or a safe place, a big enough hall that they could meet, you know, wearing masks and having two meters between them and all the rest of it, that they could meet in smaller groups to maybe do some Tai Chi or do some physical activity that they would have done regularly. And yeah. um, they coped a bit better as well. And Within what about, the did, they, did they use technology? Did they meet up on Zoom calls? Um, they, you know, some of them did, but um, uh, we, de- we, we did find that um, many older people's groups didn't have access. You know, everybody in the group didn't have access to to the technology. Ah. So, um, we, you know, a, a, a lot of people said that their members didn't have um, didn't have access to Zoom. 
a lot of a lot of areas didn't have access to good enough broadband so to communicate like that. Um, and um, now we did find, you know, there were there were there were a lot of old people using technology. There's more old people using technology now, I say, than there were before the before the crisis. You know, but it's not it's not even when it is available to people and people are happy and confident in, uh, uh, to use it and so on. It's not a it's no substitute really for the face to face social interaction. Absolutely, absolutely. But so the women fared a little bit better, but the men, and I take it in particular the men's sheds group which have been, they were kind of a, re, a new enough phenomenon in the last number of years, but have been hugely successful of getting men out and socialising with each other and communicating with, with each other. But you, you were saying that the men didn't meet up as much. No, they, uh, they, the, the, the evidence is that the men's groups, um, the, the men's groups, and that would include men's sheds, um, that they, 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 weren't, they weren't as good at keeping in contact, that they, 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 they didn't manage to keep in contact. And they were, you know, we did some focus groups. So we did a survey and we got about 700 responses to the survey. So that was, you know, it kind of said to us, God, these are voices that really have something to say, they want to be heard. You know, it was, mm. it was a very good response to the survey. And then we followed up with some focus groups and we did one focus group specifically with, 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 um, with men representing men's groups. And um, they they were very concerned because they said it had taken a long time to get a lot to get men to come to the groups in the first place, you know. So so um, you, you know, in some cases, they kind of reeled them in, you know, by asking them to do something for the group, or you know, there, there was there was a lot of a lot of a lot of work had gone into kind of setting up those groups and yeah. um, by older people themselves, you know, and um, and to get the men to come along to them. And now they were worried that now they'd lost them, they'd never get them back again. Mm. Um, and, That's a know, real day. Danger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you know, I suppose going to the group is a habit and so on. But it, but but it's quite a big step, you know. For it might it might be quite a big a big step for somebody to join a group in the first place, you know, and to kind of get settled in and 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 um, and all of that, and then to lose all of that, just um, it'd be very hard. It, I, I, you know, we've recommended that there's a lot of support put in place to actually um, revitalise the groups to get you, you know, you know, to to, um, to to help them kind of re 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 reconnect with each get other, get them back and up and and, and running again. Back because up and running, Mary, yeah. one you know, once fully vaccinated, especially the over seventies, uh, will some of those? Wouldn't it be nice to think that some of those older groups will be able to start up again sooner? I imagine that they can't wait to start up again. You know, so, you know, a lot of them. Uh, I imagine, you know, are really looking forward to um, to getting the activities up and running again. Um, and and uh, you know, and, and you know, certainly, um, you know, groups in life age and opportunity will we will really be you know trying to look at what are the supports needed um, and we'll be trying to make recommendations to other stakeholders to to put in place those supports to get the groups back up and running as soon as it is um you know as soon as the public health guidelines allow and you know there may be a piece about about rebuilding confidence um, among all groups of people, including oh, not you know not just older people, yeah. you know, in terms of kind of getting us, getting us, you know, getting it, 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 making us all comfortable to to be out and about again and and and, and mixing and um, freely. But hopefully, it won't be too long more. Okay, and I know one of the main purposes of this uh, report was to do with physical activity in uh, older people. Are older people doing less physical activity because of COVID nineteen? Well, um, 
Yeah, there were a couple of um, reports. We didn't, we, our report didn't didn't measure that, but there were a couple of um, Amoric were doing research, uh, HSC were doing research. So, so there were a couple of reports at the time to show that people in general, including older people, were doing less. Uh, we're doing less physical activity. Um, so, um, you know, for example, um, there was on the 27th of July, which was the week that we published a, a report about getting people back to sport because we didn't really know what, what was ahead of us at that point. Mm. But that report reported that 64% of the adult population were staying at home rather than going out and 40% would do this after the coronavirus. Um, and um, uh, then there was another report published in July by Tilda and alone, um, looking at loneliness and social isolation um, and um, and physical health. They found so so the look, talking to the people who on the alone national support helpline indicated that physical health is the highest area of need for older people. And the people again, you know, this came from that alone alone piece. The people with chronic uh, health challenges, you know, and a lot of people in the in, the, in that older cohort might have uh, things like diabetes or COPD, you know, there's great challenges, health challenges, and the, and, and, and the impact on their quality of life during during the restrictions um, was very high. And one of the, again, one of the recommendations that we have made in the report is that for those groups of people whom, you know, physical activity would be, would be kind of, it would be like therapy or rehabilitative, you know, and, and to lose the functional fitness that they might have had, you know, if they don't get to get, if they don't get the weekly hydrotherapy or get the swimming pool or get the, 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 the walk with the group, you know, that actually their, the, the decline in functional fitness for, for some of those people would be rapid and in some cases they, they wouldn't get it back. So that's very serious. Yeah, that's, absolutely, very absolutely. Serious. I mean, there's, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about social impact and 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 you know, so hugely important um, for all older people, you know, in 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 the best of health. Um, but but for people with chronic health challenges, you know, the lack of physical activity um, is is um, you know, it, it, it really will have long term. Um, tell tell me about your about your Fitline, this free phone phone service that you have. Well, we um, so so Fitline um, a, a couple of years ago, we 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 kind of felt that we we, we have a physical activity leaders program. We do a lot of work with groups, but we kind of felt we weren't really getting at the people who weren't members of groups. And there's a lot of people who are not members of groups. A lot of people are allergic to groups, you know. Have, <laughs> and, uh, um, so so we we kind of felt well, there's probably a lot of people who might need a bit of support to be active out there, but they're not a member of groups. Therefore, we're not really able to reach them. So we set up the telephone support service, and it's a peer led service. So there are older people on the end. of the telephone um, and um, if you register with the fit line um, you'll get a call from an older person who will have a sense of what kind of challenges you might be facing um, um, every two weeks um, to just kind of put you on the road to being active, talk you through it, help you set some goals that are suitable for yourself and kind of check back in and see how you're doing. So that's fit line um, and we, um, we so we've, we, we have a couple of centres where it's been operating for the last couple of years but we have funding now from Sport Ireland and um, the Healthy Ireland Fund to to take it nationwide. So we're really excited about that. Um, and um, um, so people can um, ring. It's it's a one eight hundred number, isn't it? It's, can I give the number Please there? Please do. It, yeah. It, it, it's one eight hundred three zero three five four five. Um, we do have some ads on the radio um, at the moment as well. But yes, people can ring and they register with us, and then they will get a call. Then. Um, uh, they will get a call 
every two weeks um, and, uh, and it's, you know, like a personalised personalised. Yeah, and with the, the clocks going forward at the weekend, we're into spring, summertime, summer's on the way, weather's getting better and it's just the excuse to try and get out and about and get a bit of exercise and this just might be the little bit of a push that somebody might need. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's lots of, you know, there's there's research to show that, you know, that 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 it is a motivator, you know, yeah. that telephone support does does work, you know, it does help. It and does setting help goals and, absolutely does. You know, setting goals that, that work for you, you know what I mean? I mean, you, you know, we all, you, you know, what, what what might work for me might not work for you, you know what I mean? Mm. But the, we'll do things like say, well, talk to people about what they used to like. You know, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of older people might not have had very much access to different kinds of sports, might not have had good experience of, of, of sport, you know, maybe you know things that maybe with a lot of focus on competition and not as much on participation and if you weren't you know at the top of the game then maybe you didn't, you get, dropped you know, out, you didn't yeah. get a game yeah. I think it's a lot more you know it might be it might be more inclusive so so maybe you know with the conversation would be something like well what did you used to like to do did you well I like swimming well do you know is, is there a swimming pool near you, you well know, could you well go down okay. um, so it's that kind and it, of um, and it's called it's called support. fit line okay I have to leave it there uh, Margaret Great. or Mary thank you for that and uh, thanks, thanks for, me, thanks for joining us I uh, enjoyed Take our care. chat good morning to you that is Mary Harkin joining us from age and opportunity. Mary says, I can't wait for our active retirement group, the Mallow Branch, to start up again. Uh, Mary, I think there are so many people like you who just can't wait for those social groups that they went to every week. Can't wait for them to start up. I really do hope, particularly with the vaccination of the over 70s being uh, rolled out, I think once all the over 70s are vaccinated, I'd love to see them opening up if they even if it opens up before the rest of society. I think the older age group suffered so much at the start of this pandemic it's kind of payback time now and a kind of a vaccination bonus for them but watch this space and we'll wait and see what happens thanks for your text Mary you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Jerry in Mitchellstown was on to the programme this morning and asking us if we could publicly thank a guy who gave Jerry a jump start at the Aldi car park in Wilton on Friday evening Jerry thinks his name was John Murray but he's not 100% sure. And Jerry said, only for John Murray coming along. He said, I'd be stranded. He said, as I, uh, I already was with COVID. I already was. He has COVID. I already was with COVID. I don't quite have to get that checked with John Paul. I didn't want to ask anyone. I put, I, oh, I suppose with COVID, okay, with COVID restrictions. I didn't want to ask anyone to help me out. I put my jump leads on the ground and then this man came up and said, do you need a bit of a hand there? And I said, yeah, could you help me out? And he got my car going. I'll be forever grateful to him. We were in Wilton as my wife had to attend Cork University Hospital. And that's the reason in case anyone's saying, what was Jerry in Mitchellstown doing outside of his 5K? They were attending a hospital appointment. So well done to a gentleman that we think his name is John Murray. Uh, take a bow please. Jerry in Mitchestown is very, very appreciative and uh, thanking you for helping him out. Some of your texts and calls coming into us. Now, when I was speaking with Agent Opportunity about physical activity in older people and how they've been affected since the pandemic arrived and I mentioned at the end of the interview that wouldn't it be nice that once all the over 70s are vaccinated that we might see some services open up for the older people and maybe get some of the retirement groups some of the men's uh, sheds if they have people over the age of uh, 70 uh, 
are just some of the active retirement groups that are just fantastic and play a great role in the lives of older people. Wouldn't it be nice to think that if all of them were vaccinated, they would be able to meet up. Now, they could still do everything that they're the hand washing and all of that and the social distancing and the wearing the masks if we needed to get them to do that. They could still do all of that, but wouldn't it be nice? A kind of a vaccination bonus. Well, somebody has taken me to task on that and says, no way. We are all in this together and we're constantly hearing about we're all in this together. We have to wait until everyone is vaccinated, both young and old. I would not be in agreement of opening up services for older uh, people. It would not be fair just because they're vaccinated. Oh, I don't know whether I agree with you. I think older people, if you think back to this time last year, it was actually the anniversary of the first lockdown was actually last Saturday night. That was one year. So it was this time last year that we were into the first. Remember the very severe first lockdown where there was very few cars out on the road and we had that awful word that a lot of older people detested at the time and that was cocooning where older people had to stay in their homes they weren't even allowed out they had to have their shopping delivered uh, to them etc and it was a very very tough time and I think older people have put up with a lot and I think if they can get any kind of a little bit of a vaccination bonus a few weeks ahead of the general population being vaccinated I certainly think I would be all in favour of it but this listener is saying no we're all in this together so everybody has to uh, wait and then someone else says Patricia listening to your programme this morning with the vaccine I'm totally confused myself and my husband are both aged 75 and we haven't been given a date yet okay the rollout of the over 70s is still ongoing and I know what you've got to wait. You're, I mean, I'm assuming at age 75, you're registered with a local GP. Your GP will contact you when your GP has a vaccine ready for you. And I know it's frustrating. And I know you probably know of a lot of other people similar age to you, or maybe even a couple of years younger, who have received their vaccines. And it seems to differ from GP practice to GP practice and you can't in any way blame the GP or the surgery that you attend. They can only administer the number of vaccines that they receive. And it does appear to be a little bit hit hit and miss. And I, I still can't get my head around or get an understanding of why some GP practices seem to be further ahead than, say, a GP practice down the road. The only thing I can think of is that you'll have some GP practices that will have more over 85s, say, than the GP practice down the road. And if they all got the same amount of vaccines on a particular day... The practice with a lot of over 85s would have been struggling to get through all the over 85s where the GP practice down the road who maybe had a smaller number of over 85s were able to vaccinate those and then go to the younger cohorts in the over 70s and give vaccines. That's the only thing that I can think of that is going on. But you're not on your own. There are other people in their 70s still uh, waiting. I have a family member and I'll be shot dead now if I get her age wrong. She's probably around the 75 uh, mark and she only got a call last Last week, and she's going for a vaccination on Thursday of this week. So they are. St- so your GP practice will contact you. So hang in there. They're still working through the over seventies, and I know it's frustrating. And people are just. It is almost like getting a lotto win when you get that phone call to say we're ready. Come on, and we can give you your injection. So hang in there. It, it will be sooner. Certainly, it will be sooner rather than later. Somebody else, when I mentioned that the numbers have 
are remaining stubbornly high, I think is the phrase that's been used by Neffet and the government. And we're kind of stuck around that 600 mark the whole time. What was it? 603 cases yesterday. Uh, somebody says, Trish, I'm telling you now, the numbers will definitely be higher this week because of those walk-in testing centres. There's five of them, isn't there, in total around uh, the country. That is really going to show up people that are asymptomatic. So this listener feels we will see a spike in numbers. We don't have walk-in testing centres here in Cork because we don't need to have walk-in testing centres here in Cork. We are doing remarkably well and I'm always a bit afraid of blowing our trumpet too much on air because we were in a similar situation last summer when we were doing so well in Cork and then we all know of course it all went very different when what happened at Christmas but we are doing remarkably well in Cork I saw somebody tweeting even yesterday and Kerry her neighbours in Kerry Cork and Kerry together were on the bottom if you look at all the list of counties around the country Cork and Kerry are the lowest two for COVID-19 cases and I saw somebody on Twitter saying could we look to Cork to see see you know what are they doing so well and you know I was talking to somebody about this yesterday as to what, you know, what we are doing well. I think in the majority, we're abiding by the restrictions and we're abiding by the rules and regulations. So there will be the minority who will be still out having house parties and acting stupid and not abiding by it. But I think in the main, I think we're doing it right. And I think that's why. And it's been reflected in the COVID-19 figures. And if we can all just hang in for another bit until the vaccines arrive and then we'll be certainly out of the the woods. But you are, that listener is possibly right with the walk-ins. It'll be, we'll watch that with interest because we'll be able to see from the walk-in centres Will, will there be a spike in figures in those areas that they can directly point to the walk-ins? You know, they're allowing people to go and it's only for people without symptoms are going into those walk-in test centres that anybody can turn up um, at them. So we'll, we'll watch that with uh, interest. And then another listener is making an interesting point. This listener lives on a route, a hospital route. So there would be hospital personnel passing their door on a daily basis. And this listener claims that they see doctors going to and from work in hospital scrubs. And in this time of COVID-19, and we know how contagious it is, surely that that is wrong. Now, the only thing I can think of, are they going to work in a clean set of scrubs, doing their day's work and then changing into another clean pair of scrubs and going home. I, I can't think of anyone, any doctor that would be going into work, working all day in scrubs and then driving home. Does that actually happen? It seems very strange to me. But according to this listener, and the, he, he, he's convinced that they, that they are doctors and that they are going to and from work in scrubs should that be happening, says this uh, listener. Hi, this is on passports and says Patricia, re-passports. Bit of hope for those people, the 56,000 people, even though I think that figure went up to 60,000 last week. This is, these are the ones, these, this isn't the people who apply online for a passport renewal. These are people who physically sent in their documents. And says, I applied by post last September for my passport and I had to resend it due to faulty photos and then it got stuck in the system with lockdown. But just to let you know, I received it two weeks ago. So they are processing now slowly they are processing some of the passports. So that's a little bit of hope for anyone who has all of their documentation gone in. So well done. And that must have been a nice surprise for you when you received your letter in the post for it to be your passport. And thank you to Pat in Mallow, who sent me on a little video. 
And he says with his attachment with the little video, some of the lost property found on the Cahard Duggan Ballybrack Mount Nagel Road near Mallow on Sunday morning. Owners can collect same from any committee member. We live in doubtful hope, says Pat in Mallow. And he sent me on a, vi- a video of a trailer full, absolutely full of green plastic bags full of rubbish that was collected from Cahardogan Ballybrack Mount Nagel uh, Road. It's just shameful. Trailer is full and they've had to use another container to gather up all of the rubbish that they collected. Now I don't know if that was the is that the Mallow Tidy Towns group that were out or was it a local group but well done. I just have so much admiration for those people that give up their time on a Saturday morning or any other day of the week and out picking up other people's litter and other people's items that they just decide to dump because they couldn't be bothered recycling them. So Pat, to you and your group in Mallow, I applaud you and it is shameful behaviour that you've got to collect that much rubbish out of a a small enough area on Saturday, but uh, well done. Heidi says, Patricia, those people in government are not, in my mind, doing enough to get vaccines. The EU seems to be treating us as second-class citizens. Patricia, the UK offered us some vaccines earlier in the year, but it was refused, uh, says... Uh, Heidi, there was a suggestion earlier on in, in in the, I think it was back last year actually, that they would give us some vaccines. But the problem always with this offer from the EU to give us spare vaccines, and it's come up again because it was reported in the Sunday Times yesterday that the British government is considering offering 3.7 million vaccines to Ireland and it's in part to ease lockdown restrictions in, in Northern Ireland. But, but what's been pointed out, including by Simon Coveney, who was speaking at the weekend, he said, obviously, they would be very much interested in speaking with the British government if they have 3.7 million vaccines going spare that they would be willing uh, to give to us. But he has actually used that phrase that I used in the the last hour, that he feels politics has been played here uh, with it. And he was making the point that 55% of the adults in the UK have received their first jab, which is fantastic. But less than 6% of all of the adults in the UK have received their second jab, which is fairly close to where we are here in this country with people getting their second jab jab. So that means there are tens of millions of people still in the UK to get their first jab and millions upon millions of people still waiting to get their second jab. So Simon Coveney was making the point that there may well be excess vaccines at some point in the future, but it's many, 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 many weeks, dare I even say, months away. And I think by the time the UK have these excess vaccines, when they have all of their people vaccinated, we equally will be in a situation where we will have excess vaccines. And I welcome the day that we have excess vaccines in this country and we can look to other countries then to say let's pass them on instead. So yeah, I still think there's a bit of politics going on with the offer from the UK at the weekend unless they are saying on this Monday morning we have 3.7 million vaccines and we're sending them across the Irish Sea to you now and then we will willingly take them and uh, thank them very kindly for their very kind gesture. 1850 and we've gotten on to the council about this for a listener. Somebody says Trish just wondering did any other listeners get forms from the county council about about rent assessments. I thought all rent increases couldn't go ahead until July of this year. If forms are not back by mid-April, it says we will be fined. But our problem is we can't get all of the forms filled in because a lot of businesses are closed. For example, my own employer, I can't get my employer to fill in the forms. Now, 
we have looked at rent increases because we know, I think it was in the City Council as well, there was rent increases and there has been a freeze on rent increases, but that's in the private sector. It's not in the public uh, sector. But you've got a problem there if you need forms that need to be stamped and signed by an employer. And if the business is closed, you are in a bit of a pickle. So we're getting onto the council just to try to get some direction for tenants of county council properties who are in obviously there's a lot of people in the similar situation to our listener here so bear with us on that and we will get back to you 1850 lines open C103 Jobs Cronin's Hardware in Ballylicky they have a number of vacancies they're looking for shop assistants stores person admin worker van delivery driver and a driver with a full Arctic driving driver's licence and you also need to have experience in HGV. A baking assistant is wanted for Canturk. Applicants must be available to work early mornings and also on Saturdays. Full-time staff nurse required. It's for immediate start at Maria Goretti Nursing Home. That's in Kilmalik. And an Arctic driver with Moffat experience is wanted for farm deliveries with fertiliser. That's in the Mallow area. You'll get all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Following the decision by Bank of Ireland to close branches in Mill Street and Canturk, the Chief Executive of IRD Dohalo, Maura Walsh, has called for the creation of a new community banking sector to stop what she says is the hollowing out of rural Ireland. And uh, Maura Walsh uh, joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Maura. Good morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm doing very well and you're very welcome to the programme. Describe what it means to an area when a bank closes, especially if it's the only bank in the town or village. Well, when a bank closes, when we had it in Newmarket, we'll say a couple of years ago, uh, it was fairly devastating. Um, People often think of it in terms of the inconvenience to the actual town of Newmarket, but the bigger inconvenience were to people west of that area that already had to do five or ten or fifteen miles to get into Newmarket and now had to do an extra seven or eight to get into Kendurk. Now luckily at the time we negotiated and we got the hole in the wall facility left in the town in Newmarket so at least when people come into Newmarket they want to get out cash they can still do so. Um, I think as a minimum that's what we should be looking at in Kendurk and in Mill Street that these, um, if you like, um, areas that you, like you see in some of the cities, you know, they're not staffed, but you have the hole in the wall outside that you can get your cash out of. But inside, you have the bigger booths that you can lodge, that you can, you know, pay bills, do whatever that you can do within the bank at the moment on these machines, that these machines should be still available. And and that's that's not Bank of Ireland's plans. Well, that's, this is what I believe needs to be negotiated with Bank of Ireland. Um, you know, Bank of Ireland, I know they're probably tired of us all reminding them that we did all bail them out collectively yeah. as a country. Uh, you know, that if if any industry was leaving, you know, there would be a dividend. There'd be some kind of like a redundancy, if you like, to mm-hmm. the town. And I think that's what we should be looking for collectively for the Duhallow and indeed other areas but my priority is the Duhallow area the Cantorca and Mill Street branches so that at least that facility would remain then the lodgements the cash and, and all that should go to the post offices 
And in looking at the post offices, I think we should be looking at all post offices, not just the one in Kentortown. It should be looking at Newmarket, Mill Street, you know, wherever else. I mean, that that what, what, well, that's what Bank of Ireland saying, you know, the sum of their services will move yeah. to the local post office. Yeah, I mean, do you take some comfort from that? Uh, a, a little bit, but not a lot. I mean, it, it's fine that you can lodge your coin and lodge whatever if you have cash in the post office. But that's not ideal either, because if you like the post offices are not slack, you know, they're, they're busy places. They're very busy places on pension day and, on you know, when social welfare payments, children's allowance payments, whatever are coming. And then if they have small businesses with coin and with whatever to be, you know, lodged as well, is that going to, you know, put an extra burden on the staff there? Will the staff in the post offices be, you know, will the post office licensees be allowed to, you know, have enough money to recruit additional staff mm. in order to cater for that? Will the premises be big enough to allow an extra, you know, window or booth available or is everyone in the same queue? Yeah, many of so, our post offices are small by their very, yeah, na- by their very yeah. nature. And if, it, it will slow down. It will slow down yeah. work. If people are in there doing doing lodgements. This is the point. And would you be fearful that more banks will follow suit? I mean, is that always, it's like a domino effect. Yeah, this is what I really am fearful of. I mean, the the banks are private enterprises. They're, you know, shareholders that they're responsible and answerable to. And, you know, they're going after a particular market. And the market that they're going after, like the old Pareto principle, the the 20% of clients that will get 80% of their profit, you know, Mm. are not in rural Ireland. They're not. So, you know, the bank were able to prove it over the time of, of, of lockdown. They were able to take staff out. They were able to close branches. They were able to, you know, have only one or two people in a couple of days a week and everything moved to Mallow. So in that way, they were able to prove to us that, look, see, we can do it, you know. Uh, they didn't waste a good <laughs> lockdown uh, by not doing their yeah, homework. But, yeah, but I think a lot, <laughs> of, a lot of people, a lot of people yeah. were thought that that was very mean spirited of Bank yeah. of Ireland to say, yeah. "Oh, the footfall was down in 2020." I mean, we yeah. were sitting here. I, I was sitting here every day doing the show, banging on to people, "Stay I, indoors, don't go out." So of course, their sure, footfall course, was the going footfall to be down. down. Exactly. Yeah, it was just really. Yeah, a, so. But I mean, financial institutions have been pushing for a cashless society for for some time. But like, let's call a spade a spade. A cashless society doesn't suit everyone. Definitely not. And it, it doesn't, like if you take the Duhalla, the population of Duhalla, a sizable number, I would say, say in the next 10 years, it will be the majority probably of people are certainly over the age of 55. And cashless is not, it doesn't suit businesses even. Like how many small businesses do we go into, whether it's the butcher shop, the vegetable shop, you know, that you can't just tap a card and go, you you know, it's cash. Mm. And that, that's how it is. Um, you know, the, the rate that I suppose businesses are charged for having machines is, is significant and they can't afford, you know, off their margins, paying rent, paying, you know, whatever. They can't afford to pay out that margin as well off of the bit of profit they've left. You know, it's enough to probably put them under, so we don't want that happening either. So, yeah, cash is going to be there. What we don't want happening is that people, especially older people, whether they have extra cash in the house or whether it is perceived that they have extra cash in the house, we don't want them to be sitting ducks for, you know, 
criminals to come and say, let's tie them up, beat them up until they hand over what they have. And it might only be 20 euros, but they perceive that there's a lot of money there and there isn't. I do believe that's why I suppose I've been trying to think and ask and say, why can't we have, like banking is essential, it's absolutely essential. And it's not just the cash in and out, it's loans, it's car loans, it's house loans, it's extensions, it's education loans, you know, house improvement loans, you name it. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you, you don't want to be queued up at the counter with poor Mary Jones looking for her pension beside you. You need to go to a room when you want to discuss and, dis- and uh, you know, mm. maybe get to look for your mortgage or to get an extension on it or to do whatever. That's that's the kind of banking at another level other than lodgements and withdrawals. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm saying maybe it's time that we looked at a national bank or a community-based bank like they have in other countries. And I would be looking at the credit unions as the backbone of that you know, most most towns, all towns, and some of most of our villages and smaller towns have credit union branches. I know it means changes to legislation. It means, you know, whatever. But so be it. But look at it. Yeah. So be it. So that at least into the future, rural Ireland may have a commercial bank in its town or village, but it also has the option of a credit union type one. Yeah. Um, because if you, the other thing with having no bank or financial institution in a town, it also means less footfall for all of the other businesses. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And it, and it would mean, to, I think it would put a huge threat on some businesses. And, you know, I, I said it there a couple of years ago when we had the opening of the, the new car park for, for Kentork, you know, the off street parking that the Mart provided, Kentork Mart. You know, marts bring huge footfall into the town. People underestimate the, all the hear of the cattle lowing and oh, but look at the footfall that that brings in. Look at the commerce that that brings into the town. And I'm not so sure that all these cattle buyers and whatever would be able to function without having a, a bank, bank close by. Yeah. Absolutely. And a, a bank or two banks because they don't hold all their eggs in one basket either. So that is why I think banking is a basic service. And if that basic service goes not alone out of a town, but out of a whole region, like we have no Bank of Ireland now from Castle Island until you hit McCroom, and from, sorry, until you hit Mallow, and then going north-south from McCroom until you hit Newcastle West. Unreal. Un- un- so, you un- know, unreal. That's um, a massive. That's that's the size of a couple of counties. <laughs> and then and then it's it's a coincidence that I have you on today because you know you read you open all of today's papers and this wonderful plan that is expected. We should get more detail about it today, even though it's all over the papers. I think we have all of the information already. The state-funded relocation grants and tax incentives for remote working to be introduced by the government. It's to lure workers from the cities into rural towns and villages. One billion in the Rural Regeneration Fund. I actually saw one government source describing it as doing decentralisation properly because the plan is that 20% of the public sector will be working remotely by the end of this year and they're going to increase that every year for the next uh, five years. Are you excited by that plan? I I am to an extent, without a doubt, I think that the one thing it did do is show that a lot of, um, especially public sector stuff, could be done 
remotely, doesn't matter where you're living. It probably would have a bit of a combination of, you know, senior people having to be closer to the base and and, and others. Now, when we were looking at that, um, back in the time of Naaman O'Keefe's time, the decentralisation, we had high hopes for for the Duhalla region. And again, I was advocating that, you know, it, it needn't be in the town. It could be outside the town, like you have, you know, Killarney and other places that have a department or, or a sub-department. But if this is going to be multiple, and if it's going to be financial institutions, law, you know, huge law firms, yeah. all of that, if they can have people working remotely, I do think we have the opportunity to look at strategically now at areas like Duhallow and see, yeah, what do they need? Is it a case of putting them all into one building that has the high-speed broadband, everything else with it, and then where do they live? And, you know, what kind of housing is going to be provided? What kind of services? And we have been working hard in the last number of leader programmes with the availability of creches in Duhallow is brilliant in fairness. We have you know, seven right throughout the region. Um, we've excellent nursing homes. Like we ha- we have a lot of services. Playgrounds have been put in, walks, amenities. So this region lends itself very well for somebody who wants yeah, to Yeah, because I know part, part of the what's been discussed is that they would convert old cinemas or theatres or old town halls. How many town halls have we dotted? Mm. Uh, and they would turn them into remote working hubs with high-speed broadband. And let's yes. be honest, there are a lot of people who moved to Dublin because it was their yes. only chance of, of securing... Yeah, yeah. There's a number of people, I think, who would, who would yeah. like the idea of either, you know, maybe moving yeah. back home, moving back closer yeah. to home, or moving out of, of, of the city. But just yeah. on, on that, John Paul tracked this down for me. It's a Dublin councillor. And, and I said, Maura would be the one to play this for. This is a Dublin councillor. When, when it was said to him that a billion euro is going to be given for the Rural Regeneration Fund. This is councillor... Nile Ring and uh, listen to what he has to say. The economy has to recover and the only place that can really be led from is Dublin. So while I think it's, yes, it's very idyllic, it sounds lovely that you go off down to your little house in the, in the, in the country and I can't see somebody uprooting from Dublin and all its facilities in terms of the cultural events, theatre, parks, etc. Uprooting and going down to the, to the country. We have a Minister for Rural Affairs. We don't have a Minister for Dublin. And Dublin is the powerhouse of the economy. It's over 50% of GDP. Like, Dublin it continually subsidises the country, as you know. Even, even within the city council, one of the things the people of Dublin, I don't know why they're not up in arms about, is the fact that of their property tax, 20% is immediately whipped off the top and sent down to rural areas. Now, we can do without that kind of an attitude, can't we, more? <laughs> you know, good luck to him, isn't he? <laughs> Isn't he making a case for his own place? God love him. But, uh, you know, the reality at the end of the day is, you know, for too long, way too long, I think Ireland and Greece are alone in European countries for having a totally skewed development where everything for so long happened in the city. And I remember making the case a long time ago, Patricia, you know, if if you take your normal house, if you had your own house at home, your, your 
urban, we'll say, semi-detached house, yeah. where you had, you know, two two half-decent bedrooms and then a box room. Yeah. And then you would have a fine sitting room and dining room downstairs in the kitchen. But if you took the microwave, the cooker, the television, the sofa, and stuffed them all into the box room upstairs, where would people go? Where would the family want to sit yeah. in the box room? That is what has been happening in Ireland. All our infrastructure, our main colleges, hospitals, everything centralised into Dublin City. And of course, everyone from rural areas had to go up there. And like, I love the way he talks about going to their little, he, he almost said cottage. I mean, he did, yeah, he stopped. I mean, yeah. he stopped. <laughs> and, the, and that we don't have theatre and parks? No, it's a t- no parks. Our theatre? Our theatre. Did you ever hear a John Bikine? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't have the grab of him saying this, but he seemingly, he ended that interview by saying also that he would love to see more children getting involved in sports and GAA clubs in rural Ireland because they might give Dublin a challenge into the future. I mean, dear God, the man is just, you're right. He's, he's the, the, deluded, but yeah, and he probably has never been beyond the Nastual Carriageway in his life. In his life. How would be an excursion for Okay, him. and come here, how are IRD to Hollow? How are you getting on through the pandemic? Has it been tough going? Or? It, was, yeah. it was tough going, but I'll tell you, you know, the, the, the resilience of communities is the one thing that really, really shone through. You know, the, the structures, the... the the bits of work that has been done over the last 20 or 30 years really paid off. People, you know, there was a human cry there a couple of years ago that um, volunteerism was gone and they were setting up centres to help. And I remember I was railing against it and I might have done it on your programme saying, we never had more volunteers. They're doing different things. They're expected to work at different levels now with Charities Act and Governance Code and all of that. But they're there and they're there in abundance. Um during the pandemic, we here in our own, we'll say our own company, all our staff were in. We had them coming in in, in teams for the for the rural meals, the meals and wheels, which obviously, of course, increased because especially in the first lockdown, when a lot of people couldn't get out at all. Our laundry, we started delivering, collecting and delivering from people that couldn't get out and come in. So we were still doing that and bringing them, whether it was the paper or whatever, milk or whatever bread, fresh stuff that they might have needed, that was all brought as well. And of late, now we're offering the service to anybody in the, well, it was over 85s, whatever are we at, the over 70s now, please God, in the the injections, the vaccination scheme. Anyone that hasn't a lift to their GP or centre, ring us, we will send somebody, we will get you there. And fantastic. We don't want anyone to be left out. That's community spirit at its very best, isn't it? And fantastic. I have to take my hat off to the staff here. Every one of them, totally flexible. Uh, it, it reminded me a bit of when we'd have, a, you know, back in the day when you could have a nice celebration of business awards or something and you would find the person in the white shirt serving you could have a PhD and be a whatever in their day job. But on that night, they were a waiter or a waitress. Yeah. Yeah. We, we put all hands to the wheel. Well done. And well it done. Was the same over the last Well done. The well, uh, uh, Michael in Castletown Bear says, Patricia, would you please say hi to Maura Walsh, one of Ireland's finest when it comes to standing up for rural Ireland. Maura, 
would run the country. Not to mind <laughs> rural <laughs> Ireland. There's no waffle there. There never is at Maura, that's for sure. Listen, it's a pleasure as always to talk to you, uh, Maura. We'll speak again and uh, stay safe. Stay safe. Take care. Bye-bye. That is uh, Maura Walsh, uh, CEO of uh, IRD Duhallow. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie A project that aims to provide essential items to victims of domestic violence has seen unbelievable support from the people in Cork to discuss Critical, which is a collaborative between the Cork Volunteer Centre and Safe Ireland. I'm joined by Dr Julie Connolly, who is manager of the Cork Volunteer Centre. Good morning to you, Julie. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very good and, and great to speak with you. I suppose, take, just tell me what is the aim of Critical and why it was set up? OK, so Critical aims to provide critical physical items to people who are either currently experiencing or emerging from domestic violence situations. It came about because of um, the community response forums. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of them that were set up in um Cork City and Cork County and across the country and there was just an awareness I suppose that the domestic violence issues and concerns had increased as a result of lockdowns and the project was established then in conjunction with Safe Ireland. So it actually started in Dublin, we'll give them the credit, (laughs) but we decided to take it up (laughs) Uh, in Cork as well. It just seemed like a natural thing and I suppose then there was a huge amount of people as you know who wanted to volunteer to do something to help as a result of COVID and, and really we're looking for something meaningful to do. So what we ask people to do is volunteer their time to go out and either purchase items such as toiletries, sanitary products, baby clothes, um, you know, uh, phone credit is a big thing. Because in, in some, and, in some cases, uh, these uh, women uh, with their children are leaving with the clothes on their back. Isn't it fair to say that if you're escaping exactly. domestic violence, that that's yeah. how it can happen? Literally, they're walking out the door with the clothes on their back and a lot of them are actually ending up in homeless situations. We, we had a really interesting conversation with the manager of Good Shepherd and the vast majority of women who are um, using their services, their homeless services, are, are women who are emerging from domestic violence situations. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's so challenging and so scary to just to pick up and walk out. And this just kind of gives people a sense that they're being thought about, um, that, you know, that, that there's people out there thinking of them and want to support them. And I suppose we're just trying to make Cork a safer space for people generally, well you know, and well it's not just women, it, it's men as well, yeah, I yeah. suppose. Um, you know, any, and that's the thing, anyone, uh, like the, we had a huge, a lovely piece of training with um, West Cork Women Against Violence. And like one of the things that really came about as a result of that was an understanding that it can happen to anyone. It could be me. It could be you. It could be, you know, a big CEO in a company. It doesn't, you know, like it can um, happen to men. It can happen in same sex relationships. It's it's just one of those horrible things that, that can occur anywhere. And it's about power. And I suppose and taking people's control away from them. And what we're trying to do is give people back a little bit of power, you well know, done, well, um, and well a bit done, of control well over done. their circumstances. And you, is, is it like a sort of a care pack you give them or, or how is it distributed? What, what way do you do it? 
Well, so the project wouldn't have happened, I suppose, without various different agencies and, and it's a lot of collaboration, really. Um, so we have a student from UCC Social Work Department. She contacts each of the six services in Cork um, that are registered with Safe Ireland on a regular basis. She asks them what they need based on the clients and their service. And then if you're interested in donating, you check out our website and you can register with us. And then our coordinator will let you know what we need. So some weeks we might need bedding and some weeks we might need, you know, sanitary products. And it really depends on the service users needs, because I suppose the services themselves only have so much storage. So they need to kind of take the stuff in and distribute it. And then, you know, for Easter, we've given Easter eggs and Christmas. We had lovely packs of games for kids and things like that. So it varies and it's very tailored. And then because of COVID, we need to allocate time slots to to people in the various um, donation points. Um, so we have one in the city centre and then we have one in Middleton supported by CCAD and we have one in Castletown Roach supported by Avondu Blackwater. Well done, well well done. And you mentioned um, phone credit because uh, that's important. Yeah, that's huge. That can, uh, one of the things that were highlighted to us was that can form part of somebody's safety plan. If you think about course of control and you think about an abuser, they're checking somebody's phone, they're controlling where they are, who they're speaking to, where they're going. Having a tenor phone credit in your back pocket means you can ring if you're been seriously harsh or you need to leave with your children or ring a taxi or just even to have the freedom to ring a support service for somebody to talk to. You have that freedom if you have that piece of phone credit and that's, you know, that's stressful. And it's discreet as well. Yeah, Yeah. we forget how how prevalent domestic violence is because it's Mm -hmm. such a hidden uh, problem. And we know because the the research and the evidence is there that the pandemic and the lockdown has made domestic violence a much, much more worrisome problem than it was pre the pandemic. And that's, and I mean, only last week mm-hmm. I was speaking about victims of male domestic violence. So it's, it's females and males. It's, and as you say, all mm-hmm. walks of life. Mm-hmm. And it's also across all age groups as well. OK, you've got a donation yes. day coming up on April 9th, which is next week. Yes, and um, absolutely. Yeah, so we were, we're patiently waiting for these restrictions to be lifted a small bit. So people can travel a bit more freely around the county. So the ninth. So you, there's still some slots available if people want to go to volunteercork.ie forward slash critical C R I T I C A L L, and they can the steps are there to sign up. We also have a really nice project. Maybe you don't have money um to go out and purchase items, but we're asking people to write letters of hope and courage. Um, and so we're distributing them with the physical items. So it, um, what came about as well was there are a number of people using the services, maybe who English isn't their first language and have receiving a letter um, in your own language of support is actually really, really lovely as well. So um, all the details are on the website. It's a very clear step by step process and we're following all the COVID guidelines that okay. we're supposed to follow. And um, yeah, so um, and we really appreciate the support. And Patricia, can I just thank everyone who has donated? Um, to the project so far because people have made you know connections with their schools with their workplace people have you know people who've been on social welfare have spent 20 euros you know of their own money and and kind of given us stuff in relation to that so big and small everything is absolutely appreciated and thank you so much for the support and we had a corporate donation as well which I'm not allowed they wanted to remain anonymous but that has been hugely significant to us too so 
People are Every very bit kind. helps and thank okay, you so, so much. Okay, so volunteercork.ie is the website where you can check it all out. Julie, we'll speak again yeah. in the meantime. Stay safe and to continue good luck to the great work that goes on at the Cork Volunteer Centre. But we thank you for joining us this morning. And thanks for highlighting it, Patricia. We appreciate it. Good thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Judy Connolly, who is manager of the Cork Volunteer Centre. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed some of your thoughts coming in and before we get to that there's been a couple of calls in about the post office and is the post office going to be closed for Easter. The post office is closed on Good Friday it's closed on Saturday and obviously it's closed again next Monday which is Easter Monday so any payments that's due Friday, Saturday or Monday will instead be paid will be ready for collection next this Thursday the 1st of April so if you normally pick up your pension on a Friday or you normally get some kind of payment on a Monday it will be ready for collection in your local post office this Thursday the 1st of April but please note if you do go to collect your pension on Friday you need to go out on Thursday because post offices nationwide closed on Friday but they're also closed on Saturday and obviously will be closed again on Easter Monday. Okay, some more of your thoughts coming in to us. Now there's been a number of people (laughs) and I was getting around to mention it so I just didn't get a chance asking about the mandatory hotel quarantining and how how great it's gone. (laughs) We got into it less than less than 24 hours and we hit uh, three uh, escapees. Uh, so it's had a bit of a rocky start for sure. Three men absconded from the Quarantine Hotel, which is at the Crown Plaza in, in Dublin. There was two separate incidents on uh, Saturday. Two are back in the facility, but there's still a third missing. Looking on social media over the weekend, it looked like the third had a Northern Ireland address. So I'm assuming he's gone back to Northern Ireland and I don't know whether the Gardaí have jurisdiction to go to an address in Northern Ireland and track somebody down and bring him back. There was somebody else I think was found in Waterford was was returned to the Crown Plaza and I think one other person that left returned voluntarily even though I think he might have been persuaded to do so by on, on Gardaí Síochána. But it seems that the three who left they were out in the smoking area I think having a cigarette and decided to do a runner and that's despite the fact that there is a heavy security presence involving a private security contractor the Defence Forces personnel are there but they're only there in a supervisory role and I'm sure they, they can't physically re- restrain somebody and stop somebody running away. Those that leave hotel quarantine without permission, by the way, can face a fine of up to €2,000 and face imprisonment of up to one month. And the Garda confirmed that the Garda were called by the Defence Forces, their liaison officer at the hotel early on Saturday to say, oops, we're missing three people. There were 17 in, I think, on the first day and uh, three of them managed to uh, escape. Just actually, before I get to some of your comments that are coming coming in on it, the private security firm who are working at the Crown Plaza in Dublin and the Defence Force members that are working at Dublin Airport and will be working in the mandatory quarantine hotels. They've all been vaccinated against COVID-19 and and rightly so, I think, and rightly so, because, I mean, they're dealing with people coming off planes and we don't know for sure if these people have COVID-19 or not. Yet the Gardaí working on the front line and the Gardaí who also, the Gardaí that would have been who would, would, would respond to that call to go to try and find the three that had escaped from, from the hotel. They haven't been vaccinated yet. And I see last night the Association of Guards, the Sergeants and Inspectors again called on the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly to prioritise the vaccination of a Gardaí. And actually, I was only 
talking about this over the weekend when I had to travel to the funeral in West Cork on Saturday. And as I say, we were stopped twice by members of Angarda Shikona. Now, they were wearing masks and, and whatever, but obviously they were, you know, dealing with members of the public throughout their shift on those checkpoints. And it did. I was just thinking, you know, really, they're frontline staff. They really, I think, should be more of a priority when it comes to the vaccination. And I know the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, responding to the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors just said that all groups will be covered as further vaccination supplies become available. So there doesn't seem to be any move to move the Garda up. But it just, it seems a bit bizarre that the private security firm and the Defence Force members who are working as part of the mandatory quarantine hotels, all of those have been vaccinated, yet the Garda who are called when something goes wrong at one of these vaccination centres are not vaccinated. It just not certainly not making sense uh, to me. And then Michael says, Patricia, I'm amazed with the publicity about the family in the hotel quarantine and how unfit for purpose it is. I'm sure that family knew what they were heading into when they decided to come here, especially as the mother is a nurse. They knew that they would be isolated for 12 days. Is this complaint about opening the door for a price reduction? Is this the best effort they can make in order to get the cost reduced? Might I remind the media about the hundreds of homeless children in hotel rooms for months on end and not a word about them. Come on, let's speak up and get some headlines for the defenceless children. Won't somebody think of them thanking you, says Michael. And he's talking about the family. It's Michelle O'Dowd is the mother's name. She, they returned to Ireland with her husband and her three children from Australia and she's come back to Ireland to work in the health services. And she says she has serious concerns for the welfare of her three children if they have to remain in quarantine for 12 days. They arrived at the Crown Plaza Hotel and they were one of the first to arrive, this family of uh, five. And they were given just three beds for five people. And she said there's not enough room to eat, move or do any kind of uh, exercise. Now, they were given two adjoining rooms. She first of all had to wait an hour and a half on arrival at the Crown Plaza in Santry. And when she complained about the facilities, she was told, you were lucky. You got one of the hotel's few interconnecting rooms. Now, her children are 14, 10 and uh, 9. And they they have the interconnecting rooms. And I've seen photographs. There's been photographs gone up on uh, social media. There isn't, if you can imagine a typical hotel room, which has got two large double beds inside in the room. And then in the corner is a little circular table. We are your typical hotel room. And there's two chairs. That's all it has. So it's when they're trying to eat, it's impossible. She says, we can't eat together. One of my daughters sat on the floor, myself and my husband sat at the table and the other two were sitting on the bed trying to eat their dinner. And she said, you know, they can't exercise and and all of that. And it's just, it's dreadful. It's just, it's a a typical hotel room. And the thought of staying in there for for 12 nights is is dreadful. But Michael's point is she knew that when when they flew back. But in their defence, they had arranged to fly back from Australia it was they were just unlucky that they transited through Dubai airport they spent 45 minutes in Dubai because they came from Perth in Australia which has 
practically zero COVID and they're living very normal lives uh, in Australia but she had to come through Dubai and even though it was only a 45 minute stopover in Dubai but as we know Dubai is one of the 33 countries and anyone even transiting through the airport must then check in too but when they would have booked the flights we didn't have mandatory hotel quarantining at the time and it also has cost them I think it's 6,000 euro they've had to pay for all of them to stay in the hotel as well so there is a cost factor for this family as well but anyway Michael doesn't have any sympathy for them but I do think your point the one point I do think that you make Michael is right there are families living I dare I say it's even more than months there's been families who spent a couple of years living in hotel rooms in the very same conditions that this woman is talking about she only has to do 12 days and when she comes out of the 12 days they can go home and they have they have a house I think they're from Sligo they have a house and everything that they're going back into they spent the last seven years I think in, in Australia and the plan always was to return she has a job and she's going back on on the front line so they will return she only has to put up with it for 12 days but if you are living if you're homeless in Ireland and you're living in one of those hotels that is catering for homeless people that's your everyday existence and it isn't a case of you'll know at the end of the 12 days you'll be able to get out of it and move into you know your normal house or whatever so I do think Michael you're making a, a pretty pretty valid point but having said that my heart did go out to the family because they were it was unfortunate that had they not transited through Dubai if they, for example, maybe got a direct flight into Amsterdam or a direct flight into London, they wouldn't be in this position. They would be, they would be at home. So it's it's a bit unfortunate uh, for them. But suck it up anyway is basically Michael's message today. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. But lots and lots of people I have to say are giving out about the mandatory hotel quarantining, and that has taken so long for us to bring it into this country, and they just don't seem to be even able to get that right. And people are quite shocked by what happened that on the first day of the seventeen that arrived that three managed to escape. Paddy Amalo was on to us to say he was watching Arlene Foster on the news last night and he said, I have to admit and have contacted the programme to say how much I admire Arlene Foster. She stands up for her views and that is very much her entitlement. She is a member of the DUP and she will have different views to us here in the Republic but she's still very practical and she said she will personally contact Boris Johnson to make available any vaccines that the UK might have to give it to members of the to people in Ireland in the, in the Republic. While I felt, despite her views, she wasn't letting that stop the entire country from progressing when it comes to vaccination. I feel if her and Michelle O'Neill could put their religion and their political differences aside, they would make a fantastic team that would they, and make a very strong Northern Ireland. They both are brilliant politicians and they make a lot of sense when they speak. But unfortunately, it's their politics and their religion that holds them uh, back but they are two very strong politicians if they could all get around the one table together and get to start agreeing yeah Northern Ireland would be it's, it's doing well but it could be doing so much better Mitch's town listener says Patricia will we have to get the Covid vaccine every year do you know nobody knows at this stage I mean the scientists are still very much working on it I did read a piece over the weekend a medical from one of the medical journals over the weekend that there are scientists working at a booster shot that will be available from September so you wouldn't be getting the same full vaccination the same vaccination programme that we have at the moment of the two shots and all of that but they are looking at uh, boosters particularly for people who would have got say the vaccination early because there is the thought passion that it might be 
a little bit like the flu jab that people will be getting it every year but it's still it's still literally too early uh, to say and then one of our younger listeners who was back on who took me to task when I said wouldn't it be a nice suggestion that when all of the over 70s are vaccinated as a kind of a vaccination bonus for the couple of weeks or the number of weeks ahead of the general population that if we could start opening up the country a little bit for the older population once they are fully vaccinated and this listener took me to task and said one of our younger listeners saying look we're all in this together we've got a way to do it everybody is vaccinated before we open up and uh, I said I think that's a bit unkind and that the older people have you know they've put up with a lot this year particularly when you think back to the very first lockdown well that young person is back because I guessed they were probably a younger person by their text and the person is back saying yes I am a younger person I have I've had to wait as well there is no rally sport last year we're all in this together we all have to wait so he he and I'm assuming he but it could be she is firmly against the opening up of anything for older people the older people when they're fully vaccinated and Mary wants to know what about the games of bingo will ever they ever start again they're a great evening out and the game of bingo was something I was thinking of for the over over 70s and I know there's people well under the age of 70 who love their game of bingo as well and we're probably raging to hear that the over 70s would be able to go and not those under 70 but it would only be for a number of couple of months probably while the rest of the country uh, catch up I still think I still think we should be able to do something something for them but only time will tell if that's a decision that's going to be made or not. Number of questions coming in for Annalise can you keep those coming in to us uh, please on the opening of Rural Ireland and this plan that we're expecting to hear a little bit more about today because Heather Humphreys is due to launch it and I spoke briefly with Maura Walsh about it. It's a state funded relocation grants and tax incentives for remote working that are introduced by the government. It's to try to lure workers from cities and get them to move in rural towns and villages. It's a shared ownership scheme. It will allow rural communities to take over local amenities such as a local pub if it was closed or a shop or a post office. Anything that's at a risk of uh, closure. And it's all promised. It's part of Rural Future Plan. And the, it, the commitment is one billion to rural to this rural G- regeneration fund that could see old cinemas and old theatres and old town halls be converted into remote working hubs with high speed broadband and it's the Rural Affairs Minister Heather Humphreys she's unveiling the plan today and she's pledging also to increase the number of public sector employees working from home over the coming months and she's hoping that many of them will relocate to uh, Ireland her plan to move public sector employees from Dublin to rural areas was described by one government source as doing decentralisation properly. And decentralisation can be a very, very dirty word and can conjure up all kinds of bad thoughts for some of our listeners, including one listener that as soon as they heard of decentralisation said, if I can find it, Bill on Twitter said, last time decentralisation was mentioned Mitchellstown was to get 200 jobs from Bus Aaron HQ. Needless to say, not even a bus moved to Mitchellstown. It was a, a silly distraction while it lasted. And if my memory serves me right, when they got announced about Bus Aaron headquarters moving, part of the 200 jobs were the mechanics who fixed the buses and serviced the buses in Dublin. 
and suddenly they were expecting them to move to Mitchellstown but the buses would be in Dublin and I remember at the time there was a big question mark going oh, I think we got that one wrong but then if you think about the way decentralisation the last time the way it was done do you remember it was it was announced as part of a budget at the time part of the budget speech none of the civil servants were told and suddenly they were hearing a budget speech where they were announcing all of these different departments and they were relocating around the country and if you were lucky enough at the time to have a minister in your neck of the woods then you were going to get one of the bigger departments down to your town or to your uh, village and of course civil servants then were up in uproar some of them wanted to relocate but many of them didn't and straight away many of the civil servants came out and said aye not a hope in hell you're getting me to my family are all living in Dublin and we want to stay in Dublin and there was and it never really there was a little bit a little bit took off but there really wasn't a lot of uh, decentralisation happened at all. Mary says, I was listening to Heather Humphreys on the news asking people to come to live in uh, rural Ireland and how they'll all be supported. Mary says, is she for real? She you can't get planning permission to build a house in rural Ireland at the moment. Where does she expect all these people to live? And how will they afford to pay for a roof over their heads? It's all about big, ugly cities like Dublin. And my fear is they're going to do the same with Cork now. I just can't understand it, says uh, Mary, who is absolutely beside herself and is scratching her head saying, is Heather Humphreys for real? Well, the plan gets launched today, even though it's been leaked out. It's all over the papers. I think we know. I'll take a look at it afterwards, but I think I know everything already. There's so much of it has been leaked in the papers. And there was a lovely text in from Carmel that I want to give a mention to. Carmel in Crosshaven had her vaccine on Saturday in CIT in Bishopstown and she said it was wonderfully organised. The staff should be commended for what they are doing. So well organised. And that's been running for the last three or four Saturdays at this stage. And actually I know John Paul, we've put a call through uh, to Dr Mike Thompson because Dr Mike from East Cork is in charge of the running of that vaccination centre in CIT and by all accounts it is absolutely running like clockwork. I think nearly every Monday we've had texts or calls in from somebody who was vaccinated as part of the vaccination centre in East Cork and it's it was, I don't know if it's just East Cork doctors but all of the GPs buddied up together and rather than individual GPs doing their vaccinations at their surgery, they're all bringing all of their patients to CIT on Saturdays. And as I say, they must be very close to having all of their over 70s. So we've put a call through to Dr Mike to see if he can maybe join us tomorrow on the programme because I really am interested to talk with him as to how it's been running so successfully. Also bearing in mind what happened in the Beacon because I'm sure at no stage did they end up with 20 vaccines left over. And if they did, I'm sure they would have a list of people who they could contact very quickly to get them to come in and get their vaccination. So good to hear that it went well for you at Carmel in Crosshaven. Thank you for your call. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. Castle Magna Community Development Association and the Tidy Towns, they're holding their AGM via Zoom on Tuesday the 6th of April. It'll be at 8pm. The link for the Zoom meeting is available by emailing Community at gmail.com. 
and Kildallery Community Development and Kildallery GAA are commencing a home bingo game which you can play at home and win instantly. It's not played through Zoom, they tell me. The bingo books are on sale in Kildallery Post Office, O'Sullivan Centre and the Community Office and also in Mitchellstown in Thornhill's Opticians and Myers Maxall. Full instructions on how to play are available on the card. Uh, good luck to everybody involved uh, there. And Marymount Rebel Way Challenge will take place on a 100 kilometre virtual trail from Glengariff to the wilds of Jersey Island, all from within your 5k area. Participants can log their daily kilometres and can virtually track their route along the beautiful landmarks and coastline of the Bear Away. And you can raise funds for Marymount by setting up a fundraising page and recording your walks using the hashtag hashtag Marymount Rebel Way. Check out www.marymount.ie for full details. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Apologies when I was reading out the details for the post office for Easter and the fact that they're closed on for part of Good Friday. My apologies. I read down through it so quickly I missed the top line where post offices will be open until 1pm on Good Friday. So my apologies there. So you can still go to your post office on Good Friday but please bear in mind they close at 1pm and they are then closed on Saturday and again on Monday. But post offices are open on Good Friday up until 1pm and thank you to a load of people saying you're wrong Patricia, you're wrong. So thank you. I'm glad to point that out. Okay. Lots of texts coming in. Hi Patricia. I I've read that they're giving a booster in the UK in September of this year so they definitely are already working on a booster for the COVID-19 jab. And then lots of people on about the hotel quarantining. At least if the day is fine, homeless people can get out and about and stay out of the hotel room as long as they like. Whereas those people that are quarantining, like that family of five who've come back from Australia, they must stay in their hotel room. It is like being in jail. I think they were allowed out for once a day I think. And I know the family in question uh, were complaining about that as well because they were meant to have a PCR test and once that PCR test was negative on arrival they would be allowed out and there was a delay with getting the PCR test so they were del- there was a delay in, in them being left out for a little bit of fresh air but yes, that other listeners right they can't come and go as they please where even a homeless person can but, but a homeless person living in a hotel room there's no end in sight for them I think that's the point that a lot of people are making Michael says, Patricia this is a different Michael, says the family who are complaining about the quality of the hotel accommodation for quarantine. I wonder if somebody from Ireland went to Australia. What are the facilities like there? I know I heard a guy who described the room he was put into abroad for his 14 day quarantine was a windowless cell. I agree with the other Michael who contacted you and who speaks about the homeless family. They are permanently living in hotel rooms. That is a far bigger issue and an issue we should be uh, dealing with. Thank you for that, Michael. And hi, uh, Patricia. My question is, why are these people travelling? Too bad for all those in the Crown Plaza. They need to stay put. They knew when they were coming that they had to go into hotel quarantining. They need to suck it up. Mary in Carrickrohan, the people who are in the hotel quarantine, do they pay in advance for for their stay? If so, why did the three escape? They do pay in advance. 
Yeah, they absolutely do. They have to because you have to book the portal online. You, you, there's a portal online, so you book the hotel room online. They escaped, Mary, because they don't want to stay in the hotel for the 12 nights. That's the reason that they escaped. There was nothing to do. They'd already paid. Hi, Patricia, regarding the family who were complaining about quarantine conditions. They must have known what they were facing as people entering Australia that they've just come from have to spend 14 days in very strict quarantine conditions. Not allowed to leave the hotel room. There were no smoking breaks there. There were no exceptions made even for the elite tennis players, remember that, who weren't happy about quarantining when they went to Melbourne in Australia a couple of months ago and they were all tweeting and taking to social media on Instagram and and I I remember Scott Morrison, the Australian Prime Minister, when he was asked at a press conference about the very elite tennis players giving out about the quarantine and giving out about the facilities and their hotel rooms weren't big enough and they were all giving out about it. And he said, if they don't like it, they can go home. They knew what they were signing up for and that was it. There was no allowances made at all. Tim says, when those three men left quarantine, their names and photographs should have been released to the media as surely, surely... They pose a danger to whatever local community they would enter into. If anything, this could make any likely future escapees think uh, twice. Yeah, I mean, you would hope that the majority of people who go into hotel quarantining, and this is what happens all over the world, the majority will be okay and they won't have COVID. And at the end of the, the in our case here in Ireland, after the end of the 12 days, two negative tests and away off uh, they go. But we do know from hotel quarantining in other countries that has been going on much longer than we've done it here. It has turned out that somebody had a negative test getting on the plane. They arrived into the hotel quarantining. Their first test was uh, negative and then suddenly so many days later they had another test and they turned out positive. So, you know, the countries were thrilled that they put them into hotel, put them into hotels. Will that happen here? Yes, more than likely. The majority won't have it. But yes, that texture is right. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Plus three that escaped, it is possible that they had COVID-19 and a strain that we might have in this country and could take it away with them. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Annalise Drussell of the healthhubstore.com joining me on the programme. Good afternoon, Annalise. Good afternoon. Patricia. And you are very welcome. And we have lots and lots and lots of questions. So let's get uh, straight in. What food should you avoid if you've been diagnosed with high cholesterol, says a listener? Okay, so... Typically, the, most people would be advised to stay away from foods that are high in saturated fats. And they're foods that come from animal sources like cheese and butter and yogurt, full-fat yogurt and cream. And I think one of the mistakes a lot of people make then is that they end up getting a lot of low-fat stuff and increasing the amount of sort of simple carbohydrates like white bread and white rice and white pasta to try and fill themselves up and sugary foods, Patricia. So I personally feel that what you really should be doing is trying to increase the amount of fruit and veg in the diet because you're putting in the right balance of nutrients then. Red meat no more than three times a week I think is enough and try and avoid all the ones that have been processed like sausages and, uh, you know, the processed ham and rashers because they would have a big effect on cholesterol but also they do increase your risk of colon cancer. So I think then, you know, I prefer myself often to use butter because it's a very natural type of food. But if you're inclined to eat a huge amount of butter, it might be worth swapping it for something like a flora proactive. These have got plant sterols in them and they can help bring your cholesterol down. You can also get plant sterols in yogurts. Uh, the Benacol do a certain amount of yogurts as well. But you can buy plant sterols in a supplement in a high amount. So if you don't want to eat, take those foods, don't. And sometimes those foods have a lot of sugar in them as well, so best avoid it. So as you can see, it can get a bit confusing. Um, so then other foods to avoid, too much cheese is probably bad because it is very high in salt and very high in saturated fat. But I think there's no harm having cheese three times a week, red meat three times a week, and then substitute the meat that you'd normally have in the evenings maybe with some chicken or with um, fatty fish like salmon, mackerel, herring, sardines. These are all brilliant actually for helping bring up your good cholesterol. And then increase the amount of fruit and veg on your plate, 50% of your breakfast, lunch and dinner should either be fruit or veg. And that will be the best way to keep your heart healthy. It'll give the body everything it needs. OK, here's an interesting one. A listener says, I get a very sore, sore arm every year when I get my flu jab. I'm due to get my COVID vaccine this week. Thank God. Well done. Uh, and I'm just afraid that my arm might get a bit sore. Is there anything I can put on my arm to stop it getting sore afterwards? No, is the short answer to that, Patricia, <laughs> because... Really, it's an immune system. So 
So when you cut yourself or if you get a, a, a sting or something, your immune system goes to work immediately at the site. And that's what's happening when you get the vaccination. Your immune system system is sending cells right to that site because, um, you know, well, in the case of a, a vaccine, the virus has been introduced. But if you cut yourself, it's like a bacteria. So the idea is that the immune system will clear up any um, nasty bacteria or, or viruses that shouldn't be uh, in that area. So actually, it probably in a way is a good sign that your immune system is working well and is being stimulated. So unfortunately, I think maybe putting something like aloe vera on it just for the burning. Um, just to cool it down, yeah. I've, I've always, I've heard that about the flu jab, that if you get that kind of reaction, it's a sign you've got a good immune system because it's getting to work straight away. Exactly. Well, yeah. that's what I would think. And yeah. unfortunately, um, there's nothing like anything that would prevent that from happening would be dampening your immune response. So it would be counteracting the virus, okay. the vaccine. And certainly from a lot of our listeners, we've had mixed. We've had some listeners have contacted us to say absolutely no side effects at all. We've had others who felt tired after it. We had others who've had a headache. We've had others who've had nausea. It seems to be right across the board on the very mild side effects that last a day or two. And then you're fine again after that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Patricia, if you do get the side effects as well, I mean, the vaccine is sort of what it's trying to do is trying to stimulate your system to react to the COVID virus. So, and that that's what will help you in terms of fighting it in future. Now, they say they're not sure what, like, if it gives full immunity, they don't think it does, but it does give a certain amount of immunity. So it's like your system is getting COVID, but in a very, very mild way. So even if you get, you know, a couple of symptoms that keep you in bed for a couple of days, it's certainly better than getting the COVID virus, which you end up sometimes in hospital with. So it's a good sign. It means that your immune system is responding as it should. Okay. Um, Hi, this is from Mary. Yesterday morning, I woke up with blood in the white part of my eye. It's more than just bloodshot. Should I contact the doctor? I don't have any pain and my sight is perfect. What could be causing this to happen? That does sometimes happen, Patricia, the little blood vessel in the eye bursts. And um, it can take a while for it to, you know, to go away because, again, it's it's about it's, it's healing. Often it causes no damage whatsoever, especially if the eyesight is not affected or if there's no headaches or no eye strain or pain. I think it's probably harmless. But if you are worried about it, go and get it checked. I think for a lot of us as well at the moment, Patricia, we're spending a lot of time on screens. We're watching a lot more telly. We're possibly looking at the computer a lot more. So I do think um, there is quite a bit of eye strain at the moment. And the blue light for computer screens isn't great for eyes. So I always recommend that people, when they're looking at a screen, that you get up every 15 minutes and give your eyes a couple of minutes break to adjust. Um, And if you really were worried about your eyes and the health of your eyes, you could take a nice herb called Eyebright, which is very good for the general health of the cells at the back of the eye. Um, And you can also get Eyebright in in, um, eye drops as well, which are very soothing. And that might be suitable here for the burst blood vessel. Okay, Hi, Annalise. Could you use a few drops of tea tree oil in a pan of hot water for sinuses? Or what would you recommend? Obviously, to do a steam inhalation, what would you recommend? Yeah, I I mean, the tea tree oil is very good. Eucalyptus is very good. But my absolute favourite is the oregano oil because it is such a strong antifungal and antiviral and antibacterial. So it's very good at killing any of the nasties that are, are... lurking up in the sinus cavities um, great for preventing infection and it is great for a clear out my caution would be start with a couple of drops because it is very strong um, and, and could end up giving you a bit of a headache if you if you use too much of it and tea tree will do the same thing but it's just not as strong as the oregano oil 
So the number one for sinus and preventing infection is steam inhalation with oregano oil or otherwise, if you can't get it, eucalyptus and tea tree combined. Hi, Annalise. I feel my bowel doesn't empty properly and my tummy is bloated a bit. Is there anything I can take? I'm on a calcium tablet and a cholesterol-lowering tablet at the moment. I was looking online about probiotics. Is that where I should be looking? Okay, so I think probably the first step here is to try and increase the amount of fibre in the diet. Um, And you can do that with diet or you can do it with um, dietary supplements. So in terms of diet, some of the best uh, foods for helping... uh, you know, you evacuate your bowels fully and for a, a nice, gentle, well-forward bowel movement are the ones that are high in soluble fibre. So you're looking at things like um, oats, pears are excellent, kiwis are excellent as well, and pineapple is very good because it contains an enzyme that helps you break your food down a little bit more efficiently. And that can help when people are struggling to digest and leading to constipation. So increase those foods in your diet, um, and and then if you wanted to get something in the health shop that could help, oat bran is wonderful because it has both soluble and insoluble fibre and you can just put a spoon of that on your breakfast cereal in the morning. And psyllium husk is another one of my favourite ones. Psyllium husk is a very good soluble fibre. If you put it into water, you'll see it go all gloopy. So that could help. And in, um, in terms of adding things very simply to your diet, make sure you're drinking plenty of water. And if you do want a natural, gentle laxative, I do sell a lot of the um, aloe pura, aloe vera complex. It's got a combination of like magnesium, aloe vera, prune extract. And it's a very gentle, natural laxative. You take it before you go to bed and uh, it doesn't, you know, doesn't cause any urgency like a lot of laxatives do. Okay, hi uh, Annalise. I have been diagnosed with a trapped nerve from my back down my left leg. I attended physio and I actually got acupuncture last week and found great relief from the acupuncture. I'm walking about half an hour a day, but is there anything I can rub into the spot to stop a kind of a pinching sensation which can feel quite sore? So I suppose, Patricia, they always really stay um, cold for swelling. And if there's a pinched nerve, it could be because there's inflammation around the muscle area or around the disc area, and it's causing that pinching to occur. So the best thing to do is actually to ice it. You could do get an ice pack or you even just a, a bag of frozen peas makes a great homemade um, ice pack. And I think that's possibly the best. You can get um, rubs that will stimulate that coldness um, I've got one in the shop here called Polar Ice and it gives a very cooling sensation and that might help. I often use myself one called Pernaton um, Forte. Is actually, there's two kinds. One is a cooling and one is a heating. The Forte one is great for muscle pain and the normal Pernaton gel has got a very cooling effect which can be good for swelling as well. So they might give relief. Kathleen has what she says is itchy skin. Can you recommend something to stop the itch? She's tried lots of creams. Nothing seems to work. Okay, so I don't, I'm not sure if it's itchy because it's dry or if it's itchy because there's a rash. It might be an allergic reaction to something. Um, so I suppose the best thing, what I normally suggest to people actually is go to the pharmacy and get an over-the-counter antihistamine. And if that takes away the itch, then you know it's an allergic reaction. So ideally, you'll have a look at your diet and lifestyle and environment and try and identify what is, um, what's causing the itch. Um, natural antihistamines then Patricia would be things like vitamin C quercetin is a wonderful one um, vitamin B5 is great as well and stinging nettle is a very good one for people who are suffering from anything allergic be it an itch or be it kind of rhinitis 
So you could try taking something like that internally. Your health shop will have combination products that have a few of those I've mentioned all in one. So if you tell them you want something like a natural antihistamine, they'll sort you out for that. But in order to, to see if it is an allergic thing, taking them the over-the-counter ones from the pharmacy is a good first step. And then I find in terms of soothing, the Salcura Zeoderm or the Dermaspray um, are very good because there's lavender and tea tree that are wonderful for kind of bringing down any redness and itching. And then there's natural oils in there for moisturising as well. So you could try those. Mary says, could you recommend a calcium supplement with enough vitamin K in it? I'm 56 with osteopenia. I take vitamin D separately. Okay, so... Um, you could take vitamin K on its own. Um, Terra Nova do a lovely vitamin K. Nature's Plus is another one that do a nice vitamin K. So you could get um, get vitamin K on its own. Most of the supplements that have the calcium in there will also have the vitamin D. So if you're determined to take the vitamin D separately, you're going to have to probably take the vitamin K separate from the calcium as well. I've actually been doing a lot of research recently on, on the types of calcium, Patricia, and there is a lot of scientific um study behind the algecal, which is a patented form of calcium that comes from an algae and it seems to be very well absorbed uh, and, and very well utilised. And one of the supplements I have in the shop here is by higher na- uh, sorry, by Nature Nature's Plus and they have that algecal in there as well as your vitamin K but there is also vitamin D so if this lady can't doesn't have to take her vitamin D separately that would be a wonderful one that would give her a good dose of everything. It's called uh, Nature's Plus Bone Support. Hi Annalise, could you recommend anything for my nails? Bad and weak after gel nails. Yeah, I think biotin is always the best for kind of hair quality and nail quality. It's one of the B vitamins, so you can take it in a very high dose without it being toxic. And it's great. That's, you know, it, it, you'd often see biotin shampoos. And unfortunately, they don't do anything to strengthen your hair because that's already dead. But for new hair growing out and for new nails coming out, they will help increase the strength so good for hair quality, good for nail quality. OK, all right, we'll wrap it up there and you'll put all of this up online later on? That's right, Patricia. Okay. I'll have it all on the website. Thanks a million, Thank Annelies. Have a lovely week. That you is Annelies. Of course, won't be with us next week because it's Easter Monday, but that's Annelies herself of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic and you can check out her website on healthhubstore.com. And a regular listener says, Patricia, my husband had his first vaccine last Friday in the primary health centre in Mallow. The doctor and the nurses there please take a bow they were super and everything was so well organised a big thank you to all of them and assigned a regular listener someone wants to know on the people who escaped from the hotel in Dublin was it the Scarlet Pimpernel who invaded the guard the security firm and the army and someone else Dan says Patricia the quarantine people who escaped they were trying to get away from watching the Ireland-Luxembourg match oh Dan please and there was someone else that was on. It was a very long text that was in and I'm not going to be able to find it now. There's just so many WhatsApps coming in. Uh, I'll do my best to get back to it in a moment. Can anybody offer help here? Hey, Patricia, I'm 24. I have a small company in North Cork and thankfully it's been growing gradually since I finished college. Well done. I am hoping to get a refrigerated van to assist with delivering food. However, insurance has been a nightmare to date. I have a full Irish licence, six years no claims. However, it seems that I cannot keep my car 
car and have a van for business also. Would any of your listeners be able to point me in the right direction? Thanking you uh, so much. If anyone can help us with that one, we might make a note of that and bring it up again tomorrow. But if anybody can point us in the direction and we can pass the information on to this uh, young businessman trying to do his bit to get his business off the ground and, and doing well but needs to stay on the road but needs to get insurance. The dreaded, dreaded problem of insurance. If anyone has advice, pass it on. And another listener has a daughter who wants to travel to England, wants to know whether they have to quarantine when they come back. You have to quarantine at home. You don't have to go into the hotel but you you fill in the location form and then you quarantine at home. I think you get, you get a phone call or a text to make sure that you are but you need to quarantine at home I th- and I think there's the option then if you get PCR testing after you come back and if that's clear I think you can leave uh, but you're meant to stay at home just quarantine in your own house or the house of uh, someone you're staying with. Okay, that's what I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We'll be back with you tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock and to that I'm Patricia very good afternoon stay safe Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.